Thank you, gentlemen. I highly appreciate that much. Love the old-fashioned quartet. Amen. They did a great job. Man, I appreciate the uh, brass, too. What a great song, How Great Thou Art. Boy, it just seems to go well with the brass, and so appreciate that. And all the singing today was fantastic. Appreciate that much. Second Kings chapter number 6, if you'll join me there. Second Kings chapter number 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to follow along in God's Word. Everything, as you've noticed, from the music to our focus today has been on the Lord. That's on purpose. That's not by accident. This, this service is all about him and worshiping him and we'll talk this morning and we'll get the presentation up here behind me and uh, we have unlikely victory an unlikely victory boy it fits well with the songs especially as I think about the choir didn't know ahead of, about it ahead of time per se and uh, this truth an unlikely victory provided by God in which he showed himself strong and so we'll see it today but a little context for what we understand even in our own lives. As you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as those men just say, uh, sang about suddenly in that account, putting our faith and trust in Christ for him to pay the penalty for our sins that we cannot pay for ourselves to gain heaven. The reality is, as we do that, as we put our faith and trust in Christ, then we become known as the children of God. When someone gets saved and they, they come to, uh, then to follow the Lord in obedience, what we call believer's baptism, and they are baptized, they are identifying with Christ. They are known as his children, his followers, his disciples. Then, even as the choir sing about in the song we read in Chronicles, the reality is this. If you and I follow God with a perfect heart, and we desire to obey him, and we do our best to, to, to please him and live in such a way that pleases him, you know what you and I become known as? A man of God or a woman of God. A follower of him that is desirous to, to order our life according to his word. Now, with every step of that fellowship of Christ, every one of those labels that we take on, whether it be a child of God, whether it just be a follower or disciple of God, or whether it be because we have ordered our steps according to God's word, we are known as a man of God or a woman of God, we are well aware that with every single one of those labels or distinctions or identities comes more persecution comes greater hostility from a world that is anti-God, from uh, attacks from our flesh, and certainly attacks from the devil. We see it happening with men and women here in the Bible. The devil, in turn, as we identify ourselves with Christ, as we follow him, the devil gives us his attention, and he seeks to attack us at every opportunity. Sometimes these attacks come from even human enemies, inspired and influenced by satan it may be a co-worker it may be a neighbor it may be a family member that has established themselves as your enemy it happened time and time again through the pages of scripture and has happened through history to many different believers here in this passage we are introduced and brought to the uh, the life of elisha he's a prophet he's a man of god he followed God. He, he tried to uh, listen to the word of God and, and see it come to fruition in his own life and obey God. Here, Elisha is being persecuted. Why? Because he is exposed and uh, he has thwarted the plans of the Syrians who wanted to attack Israel and defeat the Jews and their king. Notice the example we have even before us in this passage. Look at verse 8 of 2 Kings chapter 6. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such a such a place shall be my camp. 
And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying... So the man of God is Elisha. Elisha's sending him a letter, and he says this, Beware that thou pass not such a place where the king of Syria was going to be. For thither the Syrians are come down. Verse 10, And the king of Syria sent to the place which the man of God... Or excuse me, and the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Time and time and time again, what happens? Boy, the king of Israel is delivered. The man of God steps up and he gives him information. He lets him know, oh, you don't want to go there. The king of Syria is waiting for you. It's a trap. It's going to be where they, they, they come down and assault you and try to kill you. And so time and time again, not once, not twice, but several times. Notice the reaction in the first part of verse 11 of the king of Syria. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. Man, what a great statement, isn't it? I, this happens, and he is, he is just, he's had enough. The king of Syria is upset. He, he, is, uh, uh, he is angry. He's mad because his plans are falling apart. He should have been able easily to take the king of Israel, to take the Jews, this little nation, and defeat them. So what does he do? He says, okay, something's going on. Somebody's been telling somebody something. And so he gathers his servants and all his leaders together. And he says, listen, somebody's doing something. Somebody's a traitor. Somebody's in our midst. And he's getting information to the king of Israel. Notice what he says. Notice it, verse 11, the rest of it. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? <laughs> which one of you, my servants, my, my soldiers, which one of you is a traitor? Which one of you is looking out for the king of Israel? Notice verse 12, a great statement. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, nobody. None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Now that's a statement, isn't it? <laughs> servant speaks up. He goes, hey, which one of us are traitors? Who's, who's giving information? His, his plans, his plots were so thwarted that his servant says what? Hey, master, king, it's like Elisha hears everything you said in your bedroom. That'll kind of get you upset, didn't it? I mean, it's like he has ears right there in your bedroom. He hears every single plan that you're going to do. He knows what's on your mind. Just a few weeks ago, I think this is a great example of this illustration. Just a few weeks ago, the Lions got killed in football. I know that's nothing new, okay? But they did. The team they played said this. We knew their plays when they came up to the line. We had watched enough video, we understood what Matthew Stafford was calling, what play in football they were going to run, and we were able to defeat them. That'll get your heart discomforted, wouldn't it? When you come to that line of scrimmage and the defense already knows what plays you're going to run. All right, that sounds pretty typical for Detroit. But anyway, uh, the Lions at least, right? Um, but that's exactly what he's saying here. How do they know what we're going to do? Now that'll get you upset real quick, won't it? Somebody else knows your plans even before you're, you're trying to put them into practice. Now let's take a, a, an obvious application here. Aren't you thankful that just as that king of Syria was upset, literally verse 11 says that he was sore troubled. Can I tell you this morning that Satan feels the same way sometimes? That your God in heaven knows his plans, his plots, and everything he's trying to attack you with before Satan comes to attack. Aren't you thankful for that? 
Man, I sure am. I'm thankful there's a God in heaven who literally, it's like he knows the thoughts of Satan. He knows all his plans. It's like he hears every conversation that Satan has with his devils. Hey, let's go and attack that Christian. Let's go do it through health. Let's go do it through this circumstance. Let's get them discouraged. Let's have things go wrong in their life. And God knows all about his plans, his attacks. You can be assured that Satan probably gets sore troubled sometimes. God in his sovereignty, in his control, nothing happens to you and me, whether they're good things or whether they be the attacks of Satan that he does not know about. When Satan attacks, God already knows his plans. And if you already know plans, what can you do? You can be ready for him. And so as God knows what Satan is going to attack you with this week, aren't we to be encouraged to know this, that in some cases, God has already afforded a believer grace. Ahead of time, before Satan comes and attacks in this way, in this manner, in this method, God has already given you grace to handle it. In other cases, God has already made a way to escape for a believer. In other cases, God strengthens a believer to endure the attack, to withstand it, to not to be overcome with it, but to overcome the attack. In other cases, he's already established a hedge of protection around the believer, and that shields him from the attack. Can I tell you this morning, I am so grateful that our enemy has probably got to be pretty frustrated. That he hasn't taken more of us down. That he hasn't gotten more of us discouraged. That he hasn't caused more of us to walk away from the faith. That he hasn't caused you and I, through circumstances and through attacks, to give up, to throw in the towel, to say enough is enough. He hasn't conquered us. Oh, my friend, let's not fool ourselves. That's not because of us. It's because our God, who knew his plans ahead of time, and he's given us grace. He's afforded us a way of escape. He's put a hedge of protection around us. He is taking care of us as he has done for time and time again. That is why it is so imperative that you and I, as Elisha teaches us in this passage, it is crucial for you and I, as a child of God, to walk in the will of God. Because as we are in the will of God, you and I have nothing to fear. As that verse in Second Chronicles said, hey, those who have a perfect heart, God is looking to and fro throughout the world to show himself strong on their behalf. But we've got to be in the middle of God's will. We've got to be doing exactly what God has called us to do. It puts us in a, 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 a blessed position, if we might put it that way. Well, notice what the king says now. That is the last statement. The servant says, hey, Elisha, it's like he hears everything you say in your bedroom. Notice verse 13. Here's the king speaking of Syria. And he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And when it's told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Let's step back a second. Why, what's the big deal of this king of Syria and his hatred for Elisha? Why does he want to take down the man of God? Why does he want to go and rid himself of this thorn in the flesh? Well, let's look and understand this truth, the motivation of the enemy. Whether it be Satan or whether it be even earthly enemies, what's the motivation? What is it that our spiritual enemy and our earthly enemy, so, why do they so vehemently attack us? Why do they come after us? Well, this story demonstrates that when the child of God lives in obedience to God, his very life and actions will expose the evil designs of his enemy. Put it this way in context for you and I, the fallen angel, Satan himself, hates holy living. 
He hates obedient living in the lives of believers. Why? Because when you and I obey God and we live the way that he has called us to live, it exposes the ugliness of sin. It reveals the emptiness of life without Christ. See, Jesus Christ, you know how he described Satan? He said he's a murderer from the beginning. He said he's the father of all lies. And yet, if you and I, we follow God, and God tells you and I, no, 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 don't murder people, you ought to love your neighbor. And he says this, uh, don't lie, don't speak falsities. No, as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, speak the truth in love. So when you and I, we don't murder, but we love people, and we follow the, the precepts and the teaching and commands of scriptures. When you and I, we speak the truth, and we don't lie, and we don't spread falsities, the fact of the matter is, it exposes Satan for who he is. It riles him up. It ruffles his, fla- his feathers, and it exposes him as the fraud that he is. And the same is true with our earthly enemies. You see, when I, you and I live in obedience for, to God, when we live godly in this present world, when we heed the word of God fully, it exposes the failures and emptiness of others. It reveals their sin. It ruffles the feathers of our coworkers. When they bring up what they do on a weekend, you say, well, I just don't do those things. When they talk in a certain way and you're like, well, I, I don't listen to those kind of jokes. I, I, I don't watch that kind of television. I, I'm not going to use those kind of words. It ruffles their feathers. Why? Because your faithfulness to God, your obedience to him, tends to expose the ugliness of sin in others, the failures in others. It riles up even our neighbors. It causes our family members to get hostile. It really opens the door for attack. Why? Because they want to attack the means of their conviction, the thing that is exposing the true nature of their way or life. Uh, it's exposing that how they're living their life is hopeless. It, it exposes that w- the way they're living their life, the choices they're making offers nothing but pain and emptiness, and that the end result of how they are living their life is going to be nothing but regrets and destruction. Now listen. One of the reasons that you and I live according to what the Scriptures say, we follow and imitate Christ, that you and I have a desire to say, I'm going to live in obedience to God. I'm going to live a godly, holy life as the Holy Spirit enables me and empowers me through the truth of God's Word. I want to live in a way that pleases God. As we do that, as believers, our heart's desire is that my neighbor, my family member, my coworker would see that in me and that they would say, wow, I need that. I need Jesus Christ. Look at the change that he's made in his life. Look at the difference he has made in her life. I need that. But I'll tell you, my friend, one of two things are going to happen when you and I live godly in front of others. They will either say exactly that same thing. Wow, I need what you have. Or the way you live will expose what's wrong with their living. And they will retaliate with attack and hostility, resentment. And each one of us have had it, haven't we? I lived, I worked with coworkers. I worked out in the world and in secular jobs. And I'll tell you, my friend, when they start to learn, you don't say the things that they say. You don't live the way that they live. You don't do the things that they do. You don't watch the things that they watch. You don't listen to the things that they listen to. It is convicting to them. And they will either want to listen to what you have to say or they will persecute you. Some of you this day, this week, you've already experienced that. This is nothing new. It's all through the pages of Scripture. 
And yet it is a reality of the living a Christian life that is pleasing to God and obedience to his word. You will suffer persecution. It's going to happen. Paul made sure to tell us that this would be the result of living fully committed and faithful life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12, we've referenced it many times before. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not might, not maybe, you're going to suffer persecution. If you try to attempt to live godly, you're going to suffer it. Family member, co-workers, neighbors, whatever the case may be, you're going to suffer persecution. And so here is Elisha. Boy, he's doing right. He's following God, and the king of Syria hates it. He doesn't like it. It's thwarting his own plans. It's revealing that he is not going to be successful at all. And so he comes after Elisha. Can I tell you, my friend, you know what Satan wants today? He wants the entirety of the human race in hell. And if you follow God, you're going to upset Satan. If you're trying to witness and hand out a track, and you're trying to save your coworker, your neighbor, your family members, you have Satan's bullseye on you. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want it. And here you are as a Christian, all you're doing is following Jesus Christ. You're trying to be obedient. You're trying to do exactly what he has asked of you, much like Elisha did in this passage. Their motivation is understandable. We never have to forget, we can never forget, I should say, what motivates both Satan and even our earthly enemies. But notice this, and this is something that honestly kind of helps us. Not only is there a motivation, but there's a miscalculation. There's a miscalculation of the enemy. One thing that we can count on about our enemy is that he always thinks that he can overcome us. Now, Satan thinks that today he can defeat you. In fact, he's kind of assured of it. There's co-workers who give you a hard time, and really what they want to do is wear you down, and they think they can make you run. They can quiet you, make you be quiet, and shut you up, whatever the case may be. There's family members who think they can get the better of you. They always think that they can overcome us. They often overstep themselves in their haste and desire to attack us. Look at verse 14. Notice what he does. He finds out that Elisha's in Dothan. Verse 14, therefore sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. See, they often overstep themselves. Haste, desire to attack us. It's dramatically illustrated here. What does the king of Syria do? He sends horses and chariots and a great host after the man of God, one singular man of God. And he did it by night. Now, get this. this is, I find this ironic. He does it by night. He's trying to be sneaky. He's trying to come and, and catch Elisha. But think about that for a moment. Why is he chasing Elisha? Because Elisha knows all his secrets. Hmm. Think on that for a while. Hey, if we get these guys together, we send them by night. Maybe Elisha won't know. Aren't you mad at him because he already knows everything? I mean, that literally, that's what you give him. The, just forgive me. I just sometimes get into the logic of things. Like, that doesn't really make too much sense. Uh, but it doesn't. I mean, it really doesn't. But what does he do? We're going to go after him. We're going to send everybody. He has his, all his armies together, and he thinks what? He thinks that a huge army is going to be a downfall of this man of God. Now, here's the truth. Sometimes Satan thinks, okay, if I can get your coworker after you, if I can get a family member after you, if I can get a neighbor coming after you, I can defeat you. But here's a great truth, my friend. Don't ever forget it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Hey, there's some days that Satan thinks in the morning, I'm going to send three. No, I'm going to send five. No, I'm going to send a hundred devils after you today. I, they're going to tempt you. They're going to try to trip you up. They're going to attack you. That'll be the end of that Christian. Hilton won't have a good day. Oh my goodness, does the devil forget who's on our side? Who's ready to show himself strong on our behalf? Who's ready to come to the fight for us? And so it is in this case. Man, what a great truth. And we know uh, here in the New Testament, uh, we have another promise, a special promise for times like this. First John chapter 4 and verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. My friend, you can take it to the bank. Satan thinks he can defeat us today. Oh, he, if we were by ourselves, oh yeah, he could defeat us. But praise be to God, we are not alone. Our God has our back spiritually. And sometimes not only do we have to remind the devil of that, sometimes you and I have to remind ourselves of that. I am not in this fight alone. My God has my back. He's with me all the way. He's there to comfort, and he's there to pick me up. When you and I are in the will of God, when you and I expend daily energy to be godly, when our effort and we invest to pursue holiness, we are under constant attack of the enemy, yes, but we're also going to be in the greatest place of protection and provision. When you and I are in God's will, that is the best place to be. If there's nothing you get, write this down in your Bibles, put it in your margin. A simple statement, but so very true. We need to remind ourselves of daily. A life guided by the will of God is a life guarded by the hand of God. A life guided by the will of God. His word, the Holy Spirit, what God wants of us, a life guided by the will of God is a life guarded by the hand of God. And there's nothing better, friend. That's where it's at. And Elisha was one of the greatest examples of this truth. There was a day when a little boy came up to his father. He looked puzzled, and he had something on his mind. It's pretty obvious. And he came up to his dad, and you could tell he was stinking, man. There's just something going on in his little brain, as some of us display on our faces very much when we're thinking. And he said to his dad, he said, Dad, is Satan bigger than I am? Yes, my son, said the father. boy thought for a little longer. You could see he was a little troubled by that furrowed brow and everything else. And he said, Dad... Is he bigger than you? The response was simple. Yes, he's, he's bigger than your father. The boy looked surprised. You know how little boys sometimes view their dad? Bigger than anybody else, can handle anything. But then he thought again, and he asked this question. Dad, is he bigger than Jesus? Quick came the reply. No, our Lord Jesus is bigger than Satan is. The little fellow, as he turned away, he said with a smile, Then, I'm not afraid of him. Can I tell you, my friend, you and I today don't need to be afraid of the enemy. Whether it's Satan, whether it's an earthly enemy that wants to trip us up, wants to attack us because we're living godly, whatever the case may be, because you're witnessing and somebody doesn't like it. 
You don't need to be afraid of them. I, well did Martin Luther. He wrote the, the song, it's in our hymn book, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Remember this stanza, he said this, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. And it would. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. He's on your side, friend. He's on my side and the side of every believer. But the problem is when the truth of God's protection, the truth that he is on our side is not where our focus is, we can become afraid of the attacks of the enemy, can't we? Look at verse 15. Notice what happens. Uh, The king has come down, the king of Syria. He's surrounded Dothan, and boy, the enemy is sitting on the doorstep, ready to attack, verse 15. And when the servant of man, of the man of God, was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Here's Elisha's servant. He gets up, he wakes up early, and he goes about his normal routine. All of a sudden, something catches his eye outside the city perimeter, whether it be a wall or whatever the case. He starts to notice, wait a minute, this seems like there's a commotion out there. Something's out there. He gets to a higher vantage point. He looks out, and all of a sudden, to his terror and his horror, there is the entire city compassed about with a great host. He sees chariots. He sees horsemen. He sees soldiers. He sees tents, and he recognizes immediately, this is the Syrians. The great plague upon Israel at that time. And you can imagine, to say he probably freaked out is an understatement. That was not where the Israeli army was, by the way. Dothan, a small little city, probably likely. Samaria was where the king of Israel was and where the army would have been. And so here is this huge, massive army that has surrounded this little town. And you can imagine, he goes to Elisha. He, he, he is pale as a ghost. Elisha, Elisha, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to handle this? What's going to, we can't withstand them. We can't fight them. What are we going to do? And Elisha's response gives us one of the great truths about the times of tribulation and attack that we go through. Look with me at verse 16. And he answered, great statement, isn't it? Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. I want you to see, we've seen obviously already here, um, the, the miscalculation of the enemy, the motivation of the enemy. I want you to see this, the special revelation of God. The special revelation of God. Let me explain it too, okay, before some might think that's heresy. No, notice it, okay? There seems to be a principle of spiritual experience that tells us this truth. In the face of opposition and persecution, when we are under attack, God often graciously gives us special revelation. Now notice, I do not say new revelation. It's not new. It is simply special. It's apropos for the moment. It's something that God brings to the surface and to our minds and to our hearts. And it's a special reminder, if you might put it this way, a special revelation of, of His truth that's already been given in God's Word or whatever the case in that moment. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever faced in your life something from a human perspective that your heart and your emotions should have been all over the map. 
It should have been devastating. It should have been discouraging. It should have been depressing. It should have been something that caused you to be distraught and full of anxiety. And to tell the truth, you and I were tempted in the moment. Uh, we were tempted to, to, to be distraught. We were tempted to, 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 to be full of fear and, and trepidation. But the fact of the matter is you were in that attack, in that situation, you actually had a calmness to you. There was a perfect peace in that moment. Why? Because God had come and ministered to you. Maybe, maybe it was through his Holy Spirit that simply impressed upon your heart that everything was going to be okay. You ever have those moments? Well, you should have been upset. I mean, this did not go right. And, and boy, this is going to be terrible. And this is horrible. And God is impressed upon your heart. And aren't you thankful the Holy Spirit indwells us? Because there's moments in the time of attacks and tribulation and persecution that the Holy Spirit ministers to us. And he says this, it's going to be all okay. Just trust me. It's going to be fine. It may have been, not per se, just through the Holy Spirit, but maybe it was through Scripture's. You know, you picked up your Bible, and, and one verse came to the top, and, and one verse just kept hitting you, and, and, and God had taken you to a specific passage, and he led you to there in that spot, and he said, listen, this verse is for you. And as you read on it, as you contemplated and meditated upon it, your heart was impressed that he had your back, that this situation it was going to turn out okay. Maybe it was through that still, small voice speaking to your soul in which God gives you an assurance that these attacks against you by your enemy were going to work together for your good and his glory. It's just that special revelation, that, that special ministering of God to us through the Holy Spirit, through his word, through other Christians. And, and boy, you know, there have been times in my life where a phone call, a, a little text message, an email came just at the right time when I was facing some trouble or persecution or whatever the case may be. And God used that as a special revelation just say, hey, it's okay, I'm in control. I've got it all together. Don't worry, I'm with you in this. I'm going to fight your battles for you. And if I call you to fight, you can be sure that I'll be right next to you. I'm going to help you all along the way. It's a special revelation, an encouragement. Again, it was not a new revelation, but it's a special revelation in the face of the opposition and persecution. The Scriptures are full of these examples. Do you realize that Job saw God like he never had before when the pressures of life had gotten almost too much for him? when literally he was probably almost dead in some sense, between the physical things, losing all that he had, it was in that moment, can I tell you, my friend, that Job saw God better than he ever had. Oh, the stories and the examples can go on and on. What about Daniel? <laughs> Daniel had unparalleled peace when he became the evening meal for the lion exhibit at the Babylonian Zoo. I mean, in the midst of that lion's den, here he was, perfect peace. Who gave him that peace? I'll tell you, Daniel didn't throw in there and knowing that he was a lion tamer, but he knew the God who was. And he had trusted God. God God's going to take care of me. If you would have interviewed Daniel and sleeping that night, and who had, who had the restless night? The king who was worried about Daniel in the lion's den. What Daniel do? My guess is he probably slept right there. Among the lions. He probably even had a lion as a pillow, and that'd be fun. Why? Because he trusted God. 
He had perfect peace. Not because he was something special, but because he served a very special God who was going to watch out for him and take care of him. These, these are not alone. Paul was imprisoned, and while imprisoned there, he wrote some of his greatest epistles. John, he witnessed the glories of heaven and the exalted Savior, the, the Savior on the, the throne, the future judgments of all people. What was he going through in that moment? He was in exile on the Isle of Patmos. All of these situations were times of great persecution and personal attack. But there in the midst of them, don't miss it, God showed himself strong on their behalf. Man, isn't our God good? Today, this week, when you and I face attacks from the enemy, they are no less than Daniel in the lion's den. They are no less than Job and what he endured. It is no less than Paul being put in a prison for serving God and doing right. It is no less than John on the Isle of Patmos. Do you ever feel like sometimes you are exiled on an island? (laughs) You're serving God and you're all alone. And boy, attacks are coming on every level. And yet God speaks from heaven. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. He says, you are not alone. I will show myself strong on your behalf. Just trust me. Lean on me. Lean a little closer. Lean into your God this week. Allow him to take care of you. Allow him to fight the fights for you. Allow him to provide an unlikely victory, often in an unlikely way. You see, when God shows himself strong, it's not just about the protection of his followers, but it's also about him ministering through special revelation and ministering in different ways to us. Here, Elisha was calm. He enjoyed perfect peace, knowing that the miscalculation of the enemy and understanding the invisible realities of the situation. What did he just, what did he just said? He said, now listen, settle down. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And could you just imagine, I love, these are the times that you wish this was a movie. There's that servant, and here's Elisha saying, those that are with us are more than they're with them. He looks around and goes, Elisha, it's just you and me, buddy. Who you count, man? Did you hit your head? Are you still, are you still dreaming? Are you still asleep? Wake up! Wake up! You, don't you see what, what are you talking about? But boy, you know, sometimes you and I can go through such a difficult, we can be attacked. And you know what? Somebody says, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. No, no, really. Are you okay? No, I'm fine. Why? Because I see the invisible realities. I know there's a God in heaven and he's in control. I know my God has promised this and my God has ministered and taught me this and shown me this. I'm okay because my God is still here. And he's going to show himself strong on my behalf. That's literally what we see transpire here, and it's quite interesting. Remember, Christian, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The truth is this, and don't miss it this morning. You are never alone. That's great, but even better, the one that has your back is bigger and stronger than any enemy you'll ever face. Yeah, you're not alone, but it gets better. He has your back. Hebrews 11, you know what Moses is commended for? We study Moses in Sunday school. Let me encourage you, adults, get into a Sunday school class if you're not part of one. We just started a week or two ago. Our series on Moses has been a great study. Moses in Hebrews 11, he's commended for seeing the invisible. And so Elisha does here. 
Maybe in Elisha's devotions that morning, maybe his time with God as he's talking to God and he's praying, maybe in that, God ministered. Maybe it was the night before as he's having a prayer time, God reveals his plans. Maybe he allows him to understand, hey, here's what's going to go happen. The king of Syria is going to come with his forces, but I'm going to take care of you. Or maybe just in his time of prayer that morning, Elisha, the Holy Spirit impressed on his heart. He said, listen, Elisha, remember, God's always going to take care of you. It could be as simple as that, not giving him the exact, um, not giving him the exact details of what's happening that day. It may have been as simple as just, hey, remember, I've got your back. I'm going to fight for you. God will take care of you. As you are in the middle of God's will and guided thereby, you are guarded by the hand of God. Could have been a simple reminder, whatever the case may be. And let me back up, even for you and I in our devotions. He does lead us to a verse that, special, that has special relevance and that brings peace in those moments. Again, being in the will of God in one's life makes all the difference. Can we put it this way? When we are in the center of the will of God, these attacks by our enemy do not hurt or hinder, but rather they are the means by which spiritual and eternal truths become more precious and real in our lives. They become more precious and real in our lives. There are times in our life where it has been more real, the truth that God will never leave us alone. He'll never forsake us than at other times. Situations we face where, yeah, that was really real to me. It really, boy, it really came to play, if we could put it that way. It was so precious as I went through this. I like the next truth that this story sheds light on. You see, when you and I are in the middle of God's will, we enjoy God ministering to us through special revelation, how we describe it. Then we are put in a perfect position to minister to others. Look at verse 17. The servant's freaking out. He doesn't understand what, what Elisha's saying. He's probably wanting to run. And notice verse number 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. What did he see? And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, what do you think that servant said? Because here's, forgive me again, my mind kind of wanders into the story. I, I could just see that servant, his eyes go, he goes pale again. He goes, Elisha, um, are they with us or against us? I sure hope they're with us. I mean, the mountains are full. Chariots and horses and warriors of fire. Here's a great truth. You see, what happens sometimes when you and I go under, we're under attack. We go through a difficult time, a tribulation. And we allow God to minister to us, and we, he does in a mighty way. And, and, and we follow after God. We're faithful. We walk with a perfect heart. Then our goal and desire becomes this that you and I might flourish in the face of the attack by the enemy to such a degree that we can minister to others so their eyes are opened and they are blessed. See, if, if Elisha was worrying, the servant never would have seen. If Elisha hadn't been trusting in God, if Elisha didn't say, okay, this is no big deal, God's in control, more are they that are with us than those that are against us. If Elisha hadn't been resting in God, the servant's eyes never would have been opened, and the servant himself never would have come to put his faith and trust in Christ as far as, wow, God's going to fight this battle for us. See, my friend, when you and I, when we are following after God, we're doing the will of God, and God ministers to us through a, a great host of attack, 
when you and I are staying strong because God has shown himself strong, then you and I can influence others. Can I tell you, we could tell, for hours to come, we could tell stories of Christians who in a workplace endured years of persecution only to see the main person who caused all that persecution come come to trust Christ through their witness. Their eyes were open because one Christian in a workplace that was hostile against God and living godly and and called him all kinds of names and and did mean things to him and caused problems to him, and yet they remained faithful. They stood strong in the Lord. And through that, another person's eyes were open. We could tell stories of those who stood strong in families and other family members persecuting them, giving them a hard time, and and just uh, unloading on them because they're a goody-two-shoe Christian and so forth and so on. And yet there's another family member who watched them, how they reacted and how they responded and how they stood strong for the Lord. And that influence over years helped that person's eyes to be open to Jesus Christ. Influenced simply because you and I trust in Christ. We don't run from the enemy. In the strength that God provides, we allow ourselves to be used of God to reach others. Notice quickly, quickly, if you will, verses 18. Time will only permit us to skim over these verses and see the end of the story. And when they came down to him, that's the army, they descended upon the, the town. Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite the people, I pray thee. Not with the host of fire, the, the chariots and horses on the mountains. No, smite these people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Syria, or Samaria, excuse me, to Samaria. And it came to pass, when they were coming to Samaria, now that's where the, the king of Israel is, the army of Israel, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of this men, that they may see. Now, that's not when you want to get your sight back. And they saw, notice it, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And I like this. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? Can I, can I, can I? <laughs> I, can I, can I? I mean, you've delivered the enemy. It's perfect, right? I mean, that's, you could just imagine. Notice verse 22. And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared a great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, that he sent them away, and they went to their master. Now notice this. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. I'd say Elisha handled that pretty well, don't you? Let me share this last point. We're done. The vindication of his own by God. See, when we're in the center of the will of God, we don't have to justify ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves. God ultimately vindicates. He defends his own. God answered Elisha's prayer for blindness, and he provided a glorious deliverance as only God could do. Let me remind you, what's the title of the message? This was an unlikely victory through an unlikely way. Now, Christian, I want you to see today that in much the same way, every day, you and I enjoy unlikely victories. Every day, our spiritual enemy and our earthly enemies attack us. And yet, as we follow God, as we put ourselves smack dab in the middle of the center of God's will through obedience to his word, can I tell you, there are victories that we have won this week that we had no business winning. But I'll tell you, When God's on our side, who can be against us? And there's a great truth here. 
Elisha and his servant were literally alone in Dothan. They faced a great host. But my friend, when God comes to the fight, it changes everything. Changes everything. And who does God come to the fight for? Those who are in his will. Follow him, obedient to him, the man of God, the woman of God. I like how one preacher put it. Now listen to me, this is good. He said this, you never need lift a finger to defend yourself unless you're not quite sure that God can handle the matter. Wait. Wait for time and wait for God. Now, you say, well, I didn't get a victory in this situation. It's been going on for months. Now, sometimes God gives the victory immediately, but other times, you know what we have to wait for? The promise that God's going to give the victory ultimately. Sometimes it's immediately. And boy, in that moment, God helps us to defeat Satan and praise God for that unlikely victory. But there are other times that we have to toil through a long battle, a long war. And yet, ultimately, our God gives us the victory. He not only protects and delivers his own, but he defends and vindicates each one of us. This story unfolds in these verses, and again, we don't have time, but we see that God rendered the Syrians harmless, helpless, and hopeless. Elisha brought them to the very lair of the king of Israel, who was ready to pounce on them and smite them. But here again, Elisha showed great character. When his enemy was down, he applied some New Testament teaching, some Sermon on the Mount teaching. His enemy hungered. What does he do? He feeds them. He had them in his hands to defeat them and smite them, but he showed them love instead. And much like God, he spared them. He prepared a feast for them to partake of, and he allowed them to go home unharmed. Truly, Elisha understood that one of God's ways is this. How do you overcome evil? Sometimes you overcome evil with good. Man, isn't Elisha a great example of that? Man, he come overcome evil with good. And what happens? God saw fit to give him a permanent victory, at least for that time. Syrians never came back. Forever long, that is, to the next Syrian king, or whatever the case may be, is and certainly the, the passages that follow indicate the Syrians did come back later on. But in that moment, for that king, for that time, God gave a great victory. So let's finish with this thought. Here in this story is one of the greatest incentives for living a holy, godly life of keeping ourselves in the center of God's will through obedience to Him and His Word. The supreme reason for you and I to live holy lives is simply this, because it brings glory to God. That's number one. We ought to live holy and godly lives, obedience to the Scriptures, because it brings glory to God. But it is not a small thing that living holy, a holy life, keeps us from the evil one. It helps protect us. It provides protection and provision from the hand of God like nothing else can do. John put it this way, 1 John five eighteen. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God, notice the statement, keepeth himself. What that is literally a reference to is he, he tries to follow God's word and he tries to keep himself holy and godly and that the wicked one toucheth him not. Let me ask you this. Did the king of Syria and his host touch Elisha? No way. Why? Because he kept himself in the middle of God's will. And so you and I are promised a simple promise that if you and I keep ourselves right where God wants us, the evil one cannot touch us. Now, I like that, don't you? I like that truth. So to stand against the greatest attacks of both Satan and man takes but one thing, that you and I are a man of God or a woman of God. 
We walk in obedience and holiness before Him and with Him. Then what happens when we do that? You know what this week can be full of? You and I can see the, the satanic attacks in our life rendered futile. Oh, he thinks he's going to get us this week. But oh, my friend, he's in for a whole different reckoning when he finds out that I'm smack dab in the middle of God's will and God's coming to the fight. That God's got my back. And God has ministered to me. You and I can personally receive invisible realities, that revelation. And then we can experience God ultimately vindicating us, defending us, taking care of us. May I challenge you this morning, very simply this week, that you and I walk in the footsteps of Elisha. May we first of all commit to walking and following the will of God and then resting in this truth, the life that follows that, or that is guided by the will of God is a life that is guarded by the hand of God. My friend, that is a great truth. May we walk in it this week. Father, we thank you so very much for your word. And it is precious and it is great truth that comforts us, that empowers us, that exhorts us and lifts us up in this monotony of daily living here on earth. Father, I'm grateful that we are under attack because in those attacks you show yourself strong. Lord, it's not easy for us to say that we are thankful for being attacked by our enemies. But, Father, the reality is, as believers, we know it's in those moments that you protect us and you provide for us. You give us that special revelation, reminders of your word, and ministering of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, I thank you for those times that we are under attack so that we see you show yourself strong. Lord, may we be like Elisha. May this morning we make sure that we are in the middle of your will. We are obedient in every way your Bible calls us to be obedient. That we listen for your voice to do it, to obey. And that, Father, we make sure that there's no sin in our lives. So that this week, when the battles rage, the enemy comes. Father, we'll be ready with you by our side. Help us now. Empower us in this moment and through this message to do your will. May we do business with you in this time of invitation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to invite you to join me in standing. The piano is going to begin playing. It's time for you and I to reflect. It's time for you and I to talk with God about what we've heard from His Word this morning. Father, thank you. I needed that. Father, help me to get back in the middle of your will in this way. Help me to get rid of sin in this way. Father, help me to see your hand of protection this week. Lord, I've forgotten that when you stand with me, nothing can stand against us. Help me 